Norfolk Southern is delivering a low carbon economy, which benefits everyone. We're providing customers a way to significantly reduce their supply chain transportation emissions and improve air quality in our communities. As the first class one railroad to offer green bonds, I can tell you, we're not just in the business of moving freight. We are in the business of a better planet. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're gonna have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome to Net Zero. We are focused on information, insights, and inspiration and sustainability around transportation. I'm Danny Gomez, Managing Director of Financial and Emerging Markets at FreightWaves, and today I'm joined by Joe Ray, the Chief Commercial Officer of Abex Exchange. Joe, welcome. For, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having us here. Um, so as we jump in, Joe, you and I have had the benefit of working together in our former lives when I was helping build an exchange and you were working at um, at a bank and um, really building their energy business. Um, I would love to jump back even a little further um, in your professional, personal um, career. You know, you were involved at an early stage back in the mid 2000s in the green exchange. And that was seemed well ahead of its time, um, especially as we see how prominent um, net, net zero carbon neutrality is is in today's conversations, ESG is a very big buzzword. Um, do you mind just going through kind of your your professional history and kind of how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure thing, Dan, and you're right. Uh, the Green Exchange was ahead of its time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think even at that point, it was relevant to the marketplace as it was looking at different types of uh, environmental issues to, to solve for. But uh, yeah, so my career, has been mostly in hydrocarbons. I've been involved in uh, the energy markets for well over 30 years. Uh, I went to the Merchant Marine Academy. I sailed on oil tankers uh, for nine years, got my master's license, uh, came ashore, got involved in oil brokerage and trading, uh, and then ran into Vinny Viola, who was a neighbor of mine in New Jersey here, um, who was right after Enron, was looking to kind of blend or, or find a way to use the risk mitigation tools of the exchanges, as you're well aware how they work. Um, to uh, to associate them with the OTC, particularly natural gas markets, uh, but other markets in the OTC energy markets as well. And so I spent uh, the, the first parts of my career at the NYMEX uh, building Clearport, uh, launching the Clearport platform, launching all the products around that, uh, and then uh, which included the products around the Green Exchange, uh, launched uh, and helped launch the, the Dubai Mercantile Exchange uh, and, and quite a few other initiatives uh, going through the IPO of the NYMEX the merger with the CME uh, and stayed on with the CME for three years after the merger. And as you said, I uh, went over to Goldman Sachs in 2011 for seven years as an MD there, uh, working on on growing their their commodity clearing business with particularly with commercial customers. So yeah, so I've been around the the commodity markets for a long time, uh, certainly in the physical side of the markets and certainly on the future side. So I've seen it from the FCM perspective. I've seen it from the exchange perspective. Uh, and really got a good chance to understand uh, how to really interact with marketplaces and build products that are relevant for the market. Um, the green exchange we thought was relevant at the, at the time. Uh, you know, we're, the marketplace was trying to solve for SO2 and NOx uh, emissions issues. Uh, we partnered and had a great group of partners um, that were equity investors in the green exchange across emerging energy firms, um, some of the brokers that were involved in the marketplace, and even a couple of the uh, banks like Goldman Sachs 
Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan were all involved at very early stages in the green exchange. Um, after the merger with the CME, um, it really it hadn't taken off to any great extent. So the CME, CME decided to, to shut it down, probably a little bit prematurely you now in, in retrospect. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's got relevance for sure. And, you know, launching exchanges, whether it's an environmental exchange or, or a new crude exchange, you know, certainly have, has its challenges. And, and at that time, the green exchange was definitely a, a challenge for sure. What is that? I mean, it's so much there, right? In terms of the green exchange being building all the other exchanges, um, being on the clearing side, watching really just probably the evolution of all the energy markets, right? From you know, from power to the environmental markets, um, LNG is obviously um, something that's become um, it has more prominence now. And um, using that as a segue, you know, all of that experience I think is really germane for what you guys are doing at Abex. Um, do you mind just describing that um, that venture? Yeah, it's so um, I spent, uh, after I left Goldman, I spent a year and a half at R.J. O'Brien, a small uh, FCM that was at the time looking to get into the energy markets. And uh, while I was there, I ran into one of my former colleagues from the NYMEX, Dan McElduff, uh, who also was working with a couple of my former Goldman colleagues, John Noring uh, and Josh Crum, who were working to put together a new exchange for LNG. They um, have John Noring with his gas gas trading background. He was the head of natural gas trading at Goldman Sachs uh, on the uh, the house trading side. Um, was looking from his experience and interaction with the marketplace to look for opportunities in LNG trading, mainly because the the marketplace was changing in dynamics. Right, the structure of the marketplace for the better part of the past twenty plus years has always been in a term contracts or structure marketplace. Right, so you know, there's a gas field in Malaysia. The developer of it contracts with a at a utility in Japan. They build LNG ships around it, and it's basically a floating pipeline that goes back and forth for for 20 years. And 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 when you look at the pricing on those contracts, they were priced against instruments that weren't really related to natural gas at all. So the issue wasn't as 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 problematic then. But when you look at the pricing component for Brent crude oil, Japanese crude cocktail. You know, now even with some of the financial instruments, there's very little, if not any, correlation to physical LNG cargoes and and and, and markets. So, and the issue wasn't there wasn't a, a spot market then, so it really wasn't an issue. However, as all of these term contracts are now expiring, um, very few of them are being renewed, especially at a long term type structure of of 20 years. So, most of the marketplace, well, I would say, up to 50% of the marketplace now is either uh, short term. Uh, term contracts or spot markets and so or spot cargoes. So those uh, cargoes that are entering the marketplace um, are generally destined for Asia. They are generally going to be traded by merchant energy companies. Um, and you add the other dynamic of U.S. gas into the marketplace, U.S. LNG into the marketplace. It really is changing the dynamics of of how uh, excuse me how LNG is being priced. Uh, the marketplace has said. To us, um, we need a better instrument that has better correlation and more convergence into our physical cargoes. The Brent crude oil contract, while a great global contract, doesn't do that. Japanese crude contract, same thing, no correlation. Even if the, argu the argument is that even Henry Hub, uh, a pipeline gas, TTF, a pipeline gas, and, and, and certainly JKM, a financial instrument, has no correlation or very little correlation and certainly no convergence into the physical marketplace. So. We set out in developing and interacting with the marketplace 
in a pretty direct way, asking their input in building contracts, futures contracts that uh, have relevance for them, have correlation for them, and have convergence and better risk management tools for them uh, to, to offset their or help mitigate their risk in their physical cargoes. How are you guys achieving that? Is that by taking out the financial component and making a physical contract? So the contracts that we uh, will be listing when we launch, so just taking a step back, so we applied uh, to the MAS, which we decided to, to uh, go the route of uh, engaging with MAS in Singapore as a regulator for a new exchange and clearinghouse. Uh, we applied for um, both an exchange license, an RMO, and also a clearinghouse license. Um, a couple of years ago, we received our AIP approval of principle for our exchange back last September, and the approval for our clearinghouse is imminent. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something that's taken a lot of uh, extra time and, and money to do that. However, we feel just like we did at the NYMEX back in the day by controlling how we roll out products and what products we roll out via our own clearinghouse, we can really address the issues and the, and the, and the problems in the marketplace and, and, and launch tools that are more relevant uh, and, and directly uh, related to what, what the problems the marketplace has. So, um, so again, with the approval imminent on the clearinghouse, we'll set our launch time frame uh, sometime over the, you know, in, in, I would say in the fall here, upcoming of this year to to launch the exchange in the clearinghouse. Very cool. Um, I, a lot of that rings for me, because, you know, yeah. as a former exchange operator yeah. and someone who's trying to build a business, you definitely um, want to have control, right? And having the clearinghouse Correct. and the exchange vertically integrated allows you to do that. Um, you know, as we said, LNG is becoming more popular um, and it sounds like you guys have a great approach to solving some of the, the, the gaps that are in the marketplace today. Why is LNG important to transportation, transportation in general? It is important for transportation. It's certainly a, a transition fuel. Um, you know, they, you know the, the, the move to net zero is a big, a big task. Um, certainly, we're not going to get there overnight. Uh, the ability to use more environmentally friendly or sensitive uh, hydrocarbons like natural gas, you know, there's a lot of arguments on both sides of that, how good or bad it is, but it's certainly better than coal. And it's certainly better than potentially, you know, burning fuel oil for for power generation. So, so it is it is a reliable um, uh, transition fuel. It's the good thing about LNG, as you know, it's hom homogeneous. So there aren't uh, very many differences in the grades, whether it's produced in West Texas or Malaysia or or in India or in the Middle East. And so um, that makes it a much more um, a product that's much more usable across the the the, the, the globe. Um, certainly, as I said earlier, most of the LNG in the spot market now is destined for Asia. Um, but uh, but we do see from a transition perspective that it has become really the, the the fuel of choice for the next at least for the next foreseeable future until the until technology catches up with the demand for power generation for better distributed uh, power in the marketplace. And especially as we move to more EVs, uh, you know, there's going to be even a higher demand on on power and electricity generation. And certainly natural gas is, um, you know, is I think the marketplace does agree that that's the, the, uh, the, the, the fuel of choice. I mean, the EU several weeks ago said that the marketplace cannot get to net zero without natural gas or LNG as being part of that solution. Yeah, it's interesting too, because, you know, you think about all of the EV discussions that are happening here in the States and there's a lot of focus on, um, on long haul, is is EV really appropriate for long haul? And you know, I, I, there's definitely many articles out there that are talking about whether even CNG, I think, is 
thought of as more of a, a medium distance type fuel or LNG because of the properties, if we can get over some of the infrastructure and having the right um, framework in place to support LNG vehicles that um, from a from a comparison to biodiesel, it does have a lot of similarities and it does seem like it's um, appropriate for long haul type distances in the US, which um, as we all know, tends to be a bit of a shortcoming in the EV um, absent some, some differences in technology and infrastructure. Exactly, yeah, it's very, very true. What are you guys doing? I mean, everything is trending towards net zero, right? Yeah, yes. um, and so LNG can help as a transition fuel as firms themselves try to learn how to reduce their emissions. That's one side of the coin, but also um, across the value chain or supply chain, you know, how firms are looking to bring or reduce emissions from, from very specific activities. And so LNG um, shipments, is one example. How do you guys look as an exchange to empower the users of the exchange to bring net zero to that component in their business? Yeah, it's interesting, Danny. You know, when, uh, I would say a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, the conversations around carbon offsets and in any aspect of energy were, you know, you had a kind of a casual conversation here and there. You knew things were changing. But within the past six to eight to nine months, the amount of activity, the amount of discussions that we have as, an, as a new exchange, and I'm sure the other exchanges and the marketplace is having around carbon offsets and, and trying to find a more market-based uh, solution for this uh, is incredible. It's, um, I, you know, we, we, we started uh, back in, it was in February or January, late January, uh, to put together a carbon-neutral working group. With uh, with with the various components and quite a few components of the uh, participants in the marketplace in uh, in natural gas and LNG and in energy and we had an overwhelming response to it and we've had four meetings on that and what what we're trying to do is to try to find a better a better solution that is more markets oriented um, can be a, a broader solution not only for LNG in the you know in the transportation industry transporting it to Asia, but also domestically in the transportation industry here. Uh, and so carbon offsets have become uh, just a conversation we have almost every day, if not every day. Uh, what we're trying to do is to really not to embed the carbon offsets in an LNG futures contract. We're looking to uh, let the marketplace use instruments the way they've been trading them to date. Uh, because of the lack of standardization, you have well over 75 or 80 different registries, nature-based registries, other registries that the marketplace has been using uh, for offsetting or buying or selling carbon carbon credits. Um, certainly it's not perfect yet, and that's why we're not trying to be the referee in the process yet. We, we just want to be kind of the scorekeeper, so to speak. And so we do feel that um, there will be a day, not too far down the road probably, where there will be more of a standardization, and we're hoping that we're the leader in that. And we think we can be because there really is no leader yet in the carbon offsets, the carbon, the carbon uh, credit marketplace. And so, uh, with the technology that we've built, which we haven't talked about yet, but we have built quite a quite a bit of new technology around futures markets and clearing that we will deploy shortly after our launch. That we think will be a game changer in not only futures clearing versus mitigation, but also the ability to uh, you know, basically record, offset, retire your carbon credits. And those are big pieces of that business that uh, will become, I think, more common discussions over the next few years. But certainly it's something more discussions we're having and we know that there needs to be better solutions for that. So yeah, it's a big, big discussion point. Um, 
Uh, we, we, we see implications across every aspect of commodities and certainly even in, um, in every aspect of corporate life, basically. You see it. You see it every day. Every corporation is talking about it. Um, it's, it's really an interesting development that I think that genie, as they say, is out of the bottle. And I think it's going to be really right. hard to put it back in. Well, you, if you talk about the carbon markets, and it is this interesting, the voluntary space, the voluntary carbon markets, um, where there's a lot of projects that are being funded by, you know, the ability for them to, to, to raise funds through the sale of these offsets that they produce, and kind of how that, um, that life cycle creates more innovation and more investment in the places that we need to see gains in terms of emission reductions. I think it's a really interesting, um, you know, market driven um, effort to, to, to get closer to net zero or to, to develop these technologies that are going to help us to get and reduce emissions. Um, what are your thoughts as a markets person in the voluntary market as a you know, fundamental way for us to, to fuel investments? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a, as a markets, you know, based person, as you say, I, I, we like to find volunteer, we like to find, let the marketplace to find the right solutions for things. Being prescriptive from regulatory side, whether it's a government or a regulator telling you how to do things generally doesn't work. I mean, if you look at the difference in pricing between the mandatory scheme in Europe versus the voluntary markets in the U.S., um, you know, clearly there's probably something in the middle that works the best, but but clearly, you know, 40 or 50 euros a, a ton for uh, for carbon offsets in and carbon credits in Europe is is not not economically feasible. Sure, it may deter further developments of hydrocarbon usage and reduce, you know, the force firms, the force everybody to, to get to more closer to net zero. However, that's a pretty costly uh, component. Is it is it worth the price? Probably. But when you look at, you know, how many, I just look at on a transportation portion of scope one and two on an LNG carrier for a cargo of LNG going to, to Asia, that, that general uh, footprint is about 250,000 tons of carbon. And so to buy that on the European marketplace at fifty dollars a ton, pretty pricey. It's going to add a lot of a lot of cost to the um, you know to the cost of that program and BTU of that natural gas. And so you know if that, that happens here in the states, I think it's not going to be widely well received. You know, granted, it'll help us get to the goal we want to get to, but that cost is almost overly prescriptive. Do, do you see now that LN, people who are operating the LNG cargo space are voluntarily reducing? the emissions of those shipments? They are. Yeah, I think there's probably been well over maybe 15 to 20 uh, carbon neutral LNG cargos that have been sold into the spot market over the past, say, six months. Uh, so that's that's quite a, a big change from zero, especially. Uh, but we're starting to see that uh, that is being one of the main components of the spot market in LNG is that there there's more demand, particularly from the buy side, uh, particularly as the uh, utilities in Asia uh, are, are, you know, buying more spot cargos. There's more of a demand for uh, for for sub getting supply that is carbon offset. And so, yeah, at fifty dollars a ton, that's going to or fifty euros a ton, that's going to be hard to swallow in in Asia when when the cost of you know LNG is already twelve to thirteen to fourteen dollars an MNBTU. So that's going to add quite a bit of of cost onto that those cargos. Is there a better again at one or two dollars? That's probably not the the right number either. There's probably something you know closer to the middle that would work economically for the marketplace. So for these firms that are selling selling into um, 
into the Asian markets, are you seeing pricing reflect that? I don't want to use the word carbon tax, but the the that the buyers are willing to pay more for the for the green LNG cargos. Yeah, they are. They are. There is, you know, right now again, as I said, that the pricing isn't that onerous. It's only a couple of dollars a, a ton of, of per carbon. Um, uh, and so, yeah, there is a there is a quite a bit of uh, firms that have bought cargos with carbon offsets associated with them. Um, there, there, there's definitely a desire to do that. If you look at the firms that are the general receivers of LNG cargos, um, the utilities, and as I said, like a like a Jira or co-gas in Korea, uh, in Pavilion Energy in Singapore, some of the Chinese firms, um, they, um, they, they're, they're keen to, and they've made statements saying, hey, we want to buy um, you know, carbon neutral or carbon offset cargo. So there's definitely a demand in the marketplace. And, and the trading firms, the merchant trading firms that are, are you know, trading them in the marketplace are looking to buy those, those carbon credits in the open marketplace to attach them into the uh, onto the or or sell them along with the um, uh, with the cargo. It makes sense. Maybe I think about you know as that continues even into the U.S. transportation industry, and we're starting to see a lot of downward pressure from um, big shippers that they will also want to see that their supply chain is um, you know greener, so to speak. Um, and seeing that firms are investing in technology, but also that the firms are willing to associate offsets with um, the services that they that they supply. And I think there is, you know, obviously in this space, a question of, you know, what is the what is the benefit for me as a supplier to invest either in carbon offsets or into more sustainable practices um, and to have it coming down from the buy side or the, or the shippers here in the States, I think speaks to so why that's a good business decision, right? Um, yeah, I tell you one thing. The one thing we we have been hearing is that uh, there is tangible um, across the board benefits, mainly because the bank the banks have really got in, involved in this because of their high profile. Um, you know, from a lending perspective, there. You know, you look at portfolios and investment investment banks uh, that have you know they're they're cleansing their portfolios, so to speak, or greening their portfolios, but also. As they go to lend to new firms, they're making sure they're scoring these firms to make sure that they have an ESG um, solution in, embedded in their companies. And if they don't comply to it, and as they get go along through the course of their loan, if they basically you know are just greenwashing or just doing it for for the press, the the rates that they're lended at go up. So there's there is a, a tangible uh, both a benefit and a penalty for not for not being compliant with what what now most most firms are going to have to be compliant. It's 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 inevitable. You know, it's just something that's happening. It is interesting too. I, I mean, it seems like there every other article on LinkedIn and across uh, the web is about carbon and, and net zero and emissions. And so it's definitely like you said, the genie's out of the bottle. Um, it's going to be fun to watch um, Abex um, continue to operate in this space and provide innovation into um, LNG cargos and beyond. I assume that you guys aren't. Um, stopping there with the technology. I know as an exchange that once you build that technology, it's it's finding scale. So um, we're excited. If you want to comment on any of the future plans, um, feel free to jump in. Yeah, no, I think we'll, we'll we, you know, due to the competitive nature of the marketplace, we, you know, we've been kind of uh, a little bit stealthy on our information. Um, we do have quite a, uh, quite a lot of plans. I mean, as you know, you know, during my years at the NYMEX, I launched almost 2000 products and you know, we did that because he, as you said earlier, we owned our own clearinghouse, but we also had great 
interactivity with the marketplace. And I think we'll be uh, even now, even more opportunities for new products, new ideas, better technology, carbon, you know, carbon and more environmentally sensitive products uh, as we go down the road. It's, uh, it's really an exciting time to be in this space, to, to come back into the exchange space after being out of it for several years. It's, uh, it's, and we're working with great people. Ibex has incredible technology people, great leadership, um, great, just a, a really good uh, common goal. Of, of the exchange to offer better better solutions for the marketplace. And I think that, you know, that's really, that's what we're trying to achieve. That's awesome. It's going to be fun yeah. to watch. It is, um, it is. For folks who want to get in contact with you, what's, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I have uh, quite a lot quite a few follow, followers there. Uh, my email address is joe.raya, R-A-I-A, at abex.exchange. Uh, um, also, you know, we, we have a, a Smarter Markets podcast that has been extremely successful for us to bring in new um, new ideas and new people to talk about the environmental markets. I think it'd be something great for, for, for your listeners to look to, to take a listen to some of them. Some of them, Robert Friedland, one of our investors, talked about environmental markets at the outset, particularly as it related to mining and other non-mean uh, market type structures. Uh, so the Smarter, market, Smarter Markets pod is the website for that. But uh, I, as, I, am, I am, yeah, it's a great... There's a lot of great uh, uh, recordings on there. I think that the, that your listeners would, would get a lot out of. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, we're trying to build um, a following here as well. To There's obviously a lot of groundswell and sustainability. And so our focus is trying to get people together. Um, you know, lots, just to end on that note, you know, you guys are doing it um, in your, in, in the commodities and the, in the environment that you're in. Um, any words of encouragement for the transportation industry you know, I think there's just a lot of collaboration that needs to go on um, amongst the professionals here. Yeah, I think the trans the, the domestic transportation and trucking industry is really interesting. You know, coming from the transportation side on the shipping side myself, so I kind of understand some of the dynamics and the, and the issues around around the transportation, uh, both domestically and also you know waterborne. But uh, I would say that you know it's it's this is a this is a marketplace that has a lot of opportunities in it. I think firms that are more forward thinking. Will benefit from it, um, and you know it's it's you just can't fight the uh, you know fight the trend as they say right the trend is your friend and I think that this is a, a, an important time in the marketplace to be uh, to be forward thinking in the, in the domestic transportation industry and I think that uh, you know there's some great solutions out there that 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 firms that are leaders can can benefit from by by embracing them. I agree. Thanks so much for your time today. It's always a pleasure, Joe. Same, Danny. Thank you so much for having us. Norfolk Southern isn't just in the business of moving freight, they're in the business of a better planet. To learn more about Norfolk Southern's industry-leading sustainability initiatives, go to nscorp.com slash better planet.